Welcome, murder fans, to Murder, Inc., the art of writing crime with your host, award-winning and critically acclaimed crime writer Keith Wright, author of the Inspector Stark series of crime novels. You're listening to episode two, Crime Scenes and Taboos. So in this podcast, I'm talking about storytelling in my world of gritty, hard-boiled, no-punches-pulled crime novels. But some of my general observations will probably serve you no matter what genre uh, you're writing. I've been writing a long time, and I think, you know, I've got something to offer to give back to those that are starting out. People helped me when I started out, and I think it's only right to pass that forward. So, are you young crime writers and older crime writers too are you ready to be a killer yet because you can kill whoever the hell you want at that keyboard remember though this is is your book you're gonna write you decide what advice you listen to and, and what you want to ignore it's nothing to do with me that's for you so here's what's going to happen i'm going to read a short passage from one of my books and then we're going to dissect it, talk through why those words or phrases and then perhaps the overall content. You know, every word you write is for a reason. All you've got to do is listen, hopefully enjoy, and maybe pick up something that you can add to your style. Don't overthink it. Don't take it literally. Just soak bits in that appeal to you. That's all. Secrets. There are no secrets, it comes from your damn soul if you just let it. Anyway, before we start, just a little warning, a trigger warning if you want to call it that. So this reading is going to be about a murder scene, it's not for kids, and there are going to be some adult references. So please be mindful of that if you think that might cause you a problem. Okay, here we go. Stark gently pushed at the white, painted internal door off the hallway with his knuckles and entered the living room. He looked straight into the unseeing eyes of a young girl in her late teens. She lay on the floor, on her back. Her head was tilted and resting against the black television stand. Stark noticed she had a peculiar lopsided grin on her face, but he failed to see the joke. He could not fail, however, to see the large hole in the crown of her head, not dissimilar to that of the man in the hallway. Her face was clean, though, with notably no blood visible seeping from the orifices of the ear, nostrils or mouth. The girl's breasts were exposed, her dress pulled down to the waist and folded up to her stomach. Her white knickers twisted around her left ankle. No bra was evident. Her legs were wide apart, displaying a thinly shaved triangle of pubic hair to the two detectives who leaned in to scrutinise her vagina, which appeared excessively reddened. It looked as if the girl had had sexual intercourse before she died. Necrophilia, however, could not be ruled out. Stark felt that her being in this position naturally implied that she'd been killed immediately after or during the act itself, unless she'd been positioned in this manner after her death. That would be a bit strange, but knocking ten bells out of a young girl is somewhat out of the norm also. 
likely to be rape, he muttered. Sorry, boss, Nobby queried. Oh, nothing, I'm, I'm just talking to myself. It's the first sign of madness, is it? Well, if I'm only at the first sign, after 20 years in this job, I'm doing well. Okay, that is the reading. Um, short little passage, but plenty to get our teeth into once we get into it. So, um, there's some technical elements here because, you know, this bit of writing is, I guess, uh, a crime scene. And this is sort of the heart and core for our de hero detectives and also the reader to get involved with. So the first thing we look at, so he pushes the door open with his knuckles. An interesting detail, why does he do that? Well, of course, it's fingerprints, isn't it? I mean, you know, he doesn't want to leave fingerprints. This is back in the day. This is in the 1980s, set in the 1980s. No gloves for anybody, you know, any of those white suits or anything along those lines. It's uh, in you go, suit on and so on. So using knuckles, a habit that you will see cops do at any crime scene, they will use knuckles, sometimes even if they're wearing gloves nowadays. So we're going to the living room so we know where we are. And there's a detailed description of the girl's body position. Isn't there? So, you know, more so than you would, I don't know, uh, describing a person in a cafe, for example. You wouldn't go into this, I hope, level of detail in, of description. Um, but of course, as I say, this is the key bit. This is the bit that we're all looking to, to, uh, to solve the the crime subsequently potentially at least so um, don't forget the reader's the investigator too by the way you know the, uh, we're, when we read crime novels we're in on it aren't we we're, we're wanting to uh, we're the detective to some extent um, we get into a little bit of prose don't we I think it's important not to make it you know, too wooden, too scientific, I guess. You know, we get some prose, the peculiar lopsided grin on her face, but he failed to see the joke. So, you know, just a little bit of, of um, flavour in there and colour. I mean, it is essentially a scientific study, but as the writer, we want, um, want character study, don't we? We want character study too. And those little bits that add some quality to the writing. Um, but the same piece then forms a kind of a segue into the next sentence. You know, he failed to see the joke. He could not fail, however, to see the large hole in the crown of her head. So we've got a nice little segue um, that keeps it flowing, but while still telling is quite a little bit of information. Gives a bit of quality, perhaps, to the to the prose and, and and a flow and comfort to the read. Again, feeling a bit of confidence and making it easy to read. Um, you know, it's not a pathologist report. It's a, it's a, a book. Um, I mean, there's the kind of a hint of humour in that prose. Failed to see the joke. He didn't fail, however, to see the da 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 da. So a little bit of, uh, or a hint of noir uh, style to it. 
you know, we sense from that terminology that the writer's not going to pull punches here. It's it's quite a you know a punchy piece, isn't it? it it's in in just in that uh, setting of the phrase. Now he's he's going to expose or she's going to expose the reader to everything. The reader feels they're not going to miss out here. This is quite very early in the book, as it turns out in this instance. So. He mentions the face is clean and there's no blood coming out of any orifices. Sorry dear, I'm going to be late from the orifice. No, sorry. It's a lame one. So, there's no blood coming out, so what does that imply? Does it mean anything? Usually, you know, why mention it otherwise? So there's a great hole in her head, which if done when she was alive, surely would have caused... Obviously, fractured skull and bleeding as the heart's pumping the, the the blood around, bleeding from ears usually, possibly nose. So you know that that's a clue if you like. That's something, isn't it? It's something of relevance that's mentioned. We ha- we have to think to some extent. I mean, I only write for me. I only write for myself. I don't write for anybody else. But I'm also, I don't think, a fool. I think we need to consider the reader. Uh, Now, it might be that we're considering the reader as us being the reader, how we might feel. I mean, to some extent, that's all we've got, you know. I'm not convinced that it's the right thing to second-guess or try to please anybody who is going to read your book. Who is the reader? Do you know who the reader is? Of course you don't. Are there any uh, Jack or Jill in the street? Um, or are they, you know, an ex-cop? Or are they a forensic scientist? I mean, where, would, where are you going to pitch it? So, you know, I say, for me, pitch it in the realms of authenticity. If people, you know, uh, miss a little clue or they miss... Um, what you're trying to say in a couple of lines, that's okay. So be it, you know, all will come out eventually, won't it? But for me, it's better to mention it than not. We all know there's nothing worse, is there, than with a book or a film where you have a story with loads of red herrings, that's all fine. But then, you know, they introduce somebody 10 minutes from the end who's a killer, who you could never have guessed in the run-up to it, who it was. You know, I'm not saying you have to do it at page one, but you understand the point of me. You know, that's that's the get-out clause. So, you know, it, it's important to consider broadly what the expectation of a reader, probably yourself reading it when writing, but don't go down, for me at least, you know, do what you like, but for me, I am not going to second-guess anybody else. And if they're offended or they're if this, that and the other, fine, don't read the books and, and, and you know, get your money back or whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, for those, I'm lucky I've got um, some skin in the trade. I, you know, I've been a detective for many, many years, investigate, been involved in the investigation of murders. Um, you may need to do quite a bit of research um, to make sure you get these things right, but that, that can be enjoyable too. Um, but if... It, if you don't trust me, someone will tell you. You know, if you don't, if you don't get it right, um, you will disappoint. And if you lose that credibility, then uh, it's it's no good. 
but also, you know, if someone wants to criticise you, uh, you know, also screw them. How about that? Where's their book? Hmm? <laughs> You've got to be thick-skinned, folks, as a, as a writer. You really have. So, OK, got back to the prose, I digress. But so further detail isn't there in the positioning of the clothing. What's that telling us, the position of the folded-up uh, dress and so on? You know, there's an inference of rape, isn't there? Um, that's naturally what, what the inference is there. Um, there's no good skirt. Now, how about that? No good skirting over it. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's all there. It's all in there. Um, yes, pardon the pun. But no good skirting over these things. They're quite important. I mean, there might be things you want to leave out that wouldn't be obvious to a detective. But if it would be, it's wrong. You're conning the reader if you don't include stuff like that. Um, I mean, also things like, you know, does it matter that she had a thinly shaved triangle of pubic hair? Well, um, might do, mightn't it? Um, is it bad taste? No, I don't think so. Um, there's no such thing as bad taste in crime investigation. It's dirty and cruel and unjust and you're either in it or you're out, you know. You've got to get involved in the nitty-gritty of this. You can't be coy investigating murder. I mean, for the record, the pubic hair shows she's a certain age, doesn't it? The fact that she sort of coiffures it could mean she's sexually active, couldn't it? Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. But that's why uh, things like this are uh, mentioned. It's just on the point about, you know, sensibilities and people's sensitivities to, uh, you know, let's touch on taboos. Okay. And, uh, you know, we live in a world at the moment and, uh, you know, that's everybody has their own choice what they want to do in life and how they want, what, what person they want to be. Um, but I can tell you, you know, and sorry to disappoint those that might think otherwise, murderers and rapists don't play by any rules. There are no taboos for them. Many are deranged and perverted. So, you know, a detective has to have the capacity, and by I also mean crime writer, has to have the capacity to consider taboos. You know, things that aren't on our normal everyday life, radar, you know. Of course we do. Again, otherwise, we're showing our naivety, aren't we? Um, you know, we have to consider taboos like necrophilia. It's a possibility. It happens, you know. I mean, you... You cannot consider it and hang it in the air. But do we then trust our hero if the reader's thinking it? And then, you know, is it a thing? Does it matter? What word? Of course it matters. You know, so... Taboos and all of those things have to be in the frame hinted at, if you like. And if you write in a cosy uh, rather than hard-boiled... And I love, you know, I love some cosy stuff, cosy crime novels. Um, you know, even I think you'll find actually when you read some of those, there's actually some pretty, um, you know, intense stuff in there. 
and uh, uh, you know some of the uh, Miss Marple stuff and, and Prado and uh, you, you name it. But you know it, it depends what again what genre you're in and what suits your style. It is no good trying to be something you're not. And so you know if you've had a sheltered upbringing, look at you, um, and you're not familiar with that world. Um, yes, I think you can create that persona. You need a lot of research and talking to people. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not decrying anybody doing that. Of course not. There's lots of things I know nothing about and I have to research. So that's all good. But I, my feeling is that, is that instinctively you should write to your own sort of experience or your own character as a person. I think that will come across on the page better. Um... But, uh, uh, and, I, and I think you can still write with authenticity, perhaps with not mentioning something. Because sometimes when you mention something, that's the, the trigger to the reader to think, oh, yeah, not thought of that. So, uh, you know, for me, I would write uh, how, how it suits you. But if you're not considering taboos, and it's, you know, and it, it could be anybody that's written it, just, you know, a 12-year-old child's written it. It's not, you know, we're not displaying uh, perhaps enough skill, are we, to, for the reader to get any great enjoyment from it. You know, there's the strange activities at a crime scene give, give realism and give, in, I'd like to think, give interest. You know, the rather odd rather odd sight of two detectives leaning very close to the deceased's vagina. Seems somewhat crude, doesn't it? And counterintuitive for these decent chaps. But, you know, they're doing it scientifically. They're checking for injuries or reddening or, you know, sorry, semen, you know, um, or sorry to say objects. You know, this is the reality, and this is what I say, it's no good being coy, being a detective and writing about real reality. Um, and it all comes back to reality. Um, people, uh, things that people might not envisage happening at a crime scene. Would you imagine two muses, uh, you know, staring uh, you know, three or four inches from uh, somebody's vagina? Uh, examining the vulva from marks of, of reddening and all that sort of thing. Uh, you won't see it necessarily <laughs> on uh, on your nine o'clock, you know, Jack Frost uh, programme. But again, as I say, that's all good. So anyway, on the narrative, we, we then return to the all-important body position thing as, uh, in the piece that I re- uh, read to you. You know, it's implying sexual intercourse before she died. Isn't it? And and Stark says sexual intercourse. He doesn't say rape. Note. Because an experienced detective will know that who's to say it's rape? It's making assumptions. Most certainly looks like rape, does it not? But it is an assumption. Because the fact, uh, if there is reddening or if there's marks or if there's semen and so on, it doesn't tell you she's been raped. It tells you she's had sexual intercourse. Okay. Now the ancillary issues corroborate that, don't they? You know, she's got a hole in her head and she's dead. 
and uh, you know we haven't seen it in this piece but you know there's some signs of struggles etc so that implies a violent brutal uh, disturbed individual committing a rape but that piece of information they're looking for doesn't tell you that in, in, in isolation it tells you she's had sexual intercourse potentially now I know it sounds <laughs> I'm being picky here but it, it, it all often subliminally helps to give as I say authenticity and realism to what you're doing if you want something to be more uh, fantastical or to be um, murder she wrote and that sort of thing again all good but that's you know that that's a different thing um, but even with murder she wrote you know she has to show some degree of intelligence and ability to know a little bit of wisdom know a little bit of uh, about life doesn't she so it, it all it's all mixes in that pot I mean the writer is merely displaying a whole range of options just as a detective would and then exploring the most likely um, you know in this piece she'd been bludgeoned clearly been hit over the head what after she died or before it's not dissimilar to the man in the hallway is that a red herring you're tying it to the guy who was hit and attacked but there's a you haven't heard that scene a lot of blood around him, around his face and head, and on the carpet. See? But by using by saying not dis, using the phrase "not dissimilar to the man in the hallway," you're subliminally suggesting, oh, maybe they're the, so. It's the same deal then. You know, is there consent or no consent? Is there necrophilia? It's just options for the reader, detective, to uh, consider, isn't it? You know, start muttering under his breath. More likely to be rape. Um, it kind of connects the character to the narrative. So it shows his thought processes, not spoken, are the narrative of the book, at least in this piece. Because he blurts out, essentially, what we've been leading into with the, with the piece. And he mutters out there, more likely to be raped, because we've been thinking, so could it be necrophilia, could it be just sexual intercourse? So it, it, it's connecting him to the narrative. Now then we have, we have Nobby Clark, the detective sergeant. He's a bit more of a, a, a rough diamond, shall we say, than Stark, ex-army sergeant. But he, he kind of, Nobby shocks us back into the live sort of reality, first sign of madness oh. so we're out of that intensity of a quip um, and then just in those two little phrases we're getting some info again so you know, it display, displays a, a closeness between uh, Detective Sergeant Nobby Clark and Stark Dave Stark um, it, it also shows a more flippant approach by him, by Nobby you know Maybe also a lack of detail. Can we start to imagine him just by that one phrase? First sign of madness, it's flippant. Okay. So it moves us out of a moment really of great intensity and it's a bit of a release too. Um, so, you know, it, it, it gets us out of 
that intent whirlwind that we've gone into and down into literally and it, it snaps us back out of that. So, oh, right, we're back into and there's dialogue and they're going to look around and, and so on and move out of that intense piece. I mean, Stark's response, well, if I'm only at the first sign after 20 years in the job, I'm doing well. So it gives us information. It shows, it shows us we've got 20 years as a, as a, in, a, in the police, at least. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and it's all... Given, painting the picture of Stark. Um, but it, it also shows the dynamic of the relationship and, you know, the sharp wit of the DI. Um, so he gently sort of puts down the comment, you know, so is Stark someone who perhaps doesn't like putting people down um, and, and that sort of flippancy? He kind of condones it a bit, goes with it, but doesn't really like it um, and and for Nobby to have made the comment that they are pretty close it's not something that you'd imagine a junior officer saying to the detective inspector at a murder scene for example so you know, just a reminder don't forget all of this commentary is on the finished article the first draft of that piece would have been far more uh, rough hewn it, 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 you know, it would need a lot of chiselling um, by a sculptor. But it's a sculptor who's got some idea of what all of this is likely to mean further down the line at phases in the book and at the end. So, you know, the, we'll talk another time about plotting a book, uh, plotting crime books and planning. Um, but, yeah, there's no... And a lot of crime writers, no Ian Rankin, who... Uh, I know and have met over the years many times and have been in dialogue with a great guy. He doesn't plot and he knows a lot of crime writers don't, you know, do detailed plots. But I, I do say to you this, I mean, I I tend to, but we'll come on to that on another, on another podcast, but um, you do need to know the general plot idea, particularly with crime writing, in my view, as a minimum, because... You're going to do a lot of rewriting and you could have a lot of plot holes if you're not careful. And, you know, maybe remembering the writing that you're offering scenarios that do not match the ending to. You know, there's a temptation when you know what's happening. If you're not careful, you can write the book to match that route and that journey to the happening, to the end, can't you? You must make sure that whilst everything's relevant, there are little offshoots like the branches of a tree that um, give it a bit more depth than just that, you know, straight Roman road from start to finish. So, talking of endings, um, I think I've sort of spoken enough about that little piece. Um... I hope you've enjoyed the little piece that I've talked about. Um, it's another episode of Murder, Inc., the art of writing crime coming to an end. Remember, murder fans, you can contact me or ask me any question you like. I don't mind in the slightest. The whole point is to try to support you. It can be on writing, it can be on uh, crime or anything. Um, and I maybe hopefully can give you some, some options to consider 
in your choice on how you want to approach things. And if I get any, I might use some on the show. Um, let's see. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it, got something from it. Um, you can check out my website, keithwrightauthor.co.uk. There are some uh, free chap- chapter samples on there from some of the books we're talking about. There's some free short stories, videos, blogs, and all sorts on there. Um, so by all means, check out keithwrightauthor.co.uk. Uh, remember to subscribe if you wish. Uh, if you want to buy the books, I'll help you understand a little bit more detail to go through as we go through these podcasts. It doesn't matter. I'm grateful for your company. I hope I'm helping you. Thank you for listening to Murder, Inc., The Art of Writing Crime. I'll see you next time.